This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the guest or host. They do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted, and today I'm joined by Brandon McCool. He's currently an associate attorney at Day Pitney in Boston, where he does litigation as part of their trademark copyright and advertising practice group. Brandon is also an alum from the class of 2018, where he also earned his JD certificate in sports law and intellectual property law. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, AJ. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So scrolling through LinkedIn, I came across an article that you wrote for sportsbusinessjournal.com, which I'll link to in the podcast description. If you go to law.unh.edu slash podcast, or if you happen to be checking out the podcast version, just look in the description. It's there. It was titled The Game Plan, Conducting Trademark Clearance for New Team Names. The article uh, especially was prescient given the the last couple of years. There's been many teams that either started from scratch, like the Cleveland Guardians, or doing some rebranding efforts. I mean, is it such topical things like that that led you to write this article? Yeah, that's spot on, Um, especially just like you said, in the last couple of years, um, there's been a slew of new new team names, either from scratch, like you said, expansion franchises, uh, especially in the NHL with the Seattle Kraken and the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and then some rebrands for various reasons um, with you know, the Cleveland Guardians, the Washington Commanders most recently. Um, and it was sort of those those last two with the Washington and, and Cleveland that uh, sparked the, the article. Um, and I had, you know, spent the last couple of months uh, working on it and tweaking it. And the timing worked out great because uh, it was published just three days before the Guardians uh, are set to play their first uh, game as the Guardians uh, in Major League Baseball. Now, in general, it seems like to me that the the branding efforts that many teams do goes far beyond uh, just necessarily athletics. I mean, what, what makes you think of uh, – what sorts of differences do you see between what's going on with the athletic realm versus maybe a business that's just trying to change uh, how they are hoping to be perceived by the general public? Yeah, that's a great question and definitely something that, um, you know, sports teams in particular uh, have to uh, be aware of and and uh, and think about as they're clearing and selecting a new brand. Um, You know, for example, whereas, you know, a business in their particular industry, sometimes their new brand clearance process will just focus on looking for uh, same or similar trademarks in their industry. So for products or services in that particular industry. So a financial services company, for example, will be looking at other financial services trademarks that are out there uh, because that's their that's their space um, in anything sort of related there too. But in this in the sports industry and particularly with teams, um, and that's something that I highlight in the article. Um, the searches, the searches are really broad, and uh, that's for a couple of reasons. You know, one, if you walk into a team store, you see all of the different branded merchandise. Um, you know, so they have a bunch of of different products and all sorts of different things. You know, branded socks, and apparel to 
you know, even you know, aprons and kitchenware and that all falls into different classes in the in the U.S. trademark uh, laws. And then you know they also have sponsors, so not necessarily branded merchandise, but partners and official sponsors. So you can imagine it would be potentially problematic if a team chose the same name and that as you know one of their sponsors, you know, a longstanding sponsor that, you know, that might cause some consumer confusion, which is uh, everything that the teams are trying to avoid. Which is something the Guardians dealt with, which they're in the middle of probably still some ongoing lawsuits. I'm not sure if that was cleared up or not. There's a roller derby team in the same city that the Cleveland Guardians had to deal with. I had a discussion with Professor Alex Roberts about this a few months ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was a really interesting uh, case because, um, you know, this came up and I've, I've been following it. This came up a couple of years ago with um, the Vegas Golden Knights and there were a few other teams called Knights and in, in their um, in their trademark application, uh, their uh, their lawyers, you know, made the argument that uh, you know, Knights is is pretty widespread. Uh, there's a few teams that are using Knights and there's a few teams that are using, you know, other shared names, Cardinals, I think was, you know, Arizona Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, but that was the difference was that there are different city names. So here it was a little bit different in that, you know, roller derby and baseball, um, maybe not, you know, both professional sports, but definitely, you know, sports organizations, and they both had the exact same city name and team name. So that's what made that one uh, interesting. And, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, really interesting to follow. And uh, I do believe that they, uh, they reached, uh, they were able to come to an, an agreement eventually. What advice do you have for for teams, whether especially if there's a difference between small teams and large teams, if they're beginning to investigate this path of of rebranding? I mean, when when it comes to athletics, I mean, as you mentioned, there's a huge amount of implications when it comes to merchandise, when it comes to other teams, because there's only so many different team names out there. It's hilarious when you consider all the high school and college teams that all have the same exact uh, mascots, and it looks like they copied each other, so it's hard to tell uh, what level of branding difference uh, and when you might be encountering a legal implication. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And just generally, you know, there's been articles that have been published talking about how we're we're running out of trademarks slowly because there's only so many English words in the dictionary. So, and that's something that we are, you know, that we see every day um, in, there's almost never, you know, practically never uh, no risk situation when you're adopting a new trademark. Uh, there's a typically at least you know it may be a low risk but there's there's typically you know at least one or two uh, other uh, references that are out there um, and then you know in the sports world uh, just like you said you know there's a lot of of team names that are shared and that's what um, just like I mentioned uh, a little bit ago with the Vegas Golden Knights that's what their legal team was was trying to argue in support of their um, application for registration is that and you know consumers are accustomed now to seeing these uh, shared names as long as you know maybe the the city name is different uh, and maybe they have different colors uh, you know other ways to to distinguish them but um, 
but the, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of what, what we're seeing in, um, in terms of, you know, maybe running out of, of different team names, but, um, it was interesting, the Washington commanders that they highlighted that, um, in, you know, when they were in their rebranding process about a week before their launch, um, they put out a tweet, uh, or a video, um, with Jason Taylor talking about, uh, why they didn't choose some names and, and they wanted to have something that was pretty unique. And uh, I think they accomplished that with commanders. I don't think there's another, at least professional team uh, using that name. Yeah. It's a great case study. If you're instant rebranding for sure. Cause yeah, like, like I said before, I mean, how, how many, I mean, you see Red Sox even copied over with, with various <laughs> um, high school leagues and such. So you gotta, you gotta be careful with such like that. I mean, if you have selected what you feel like is a mark or a name or something like that, that's very important. I mean, how should um, you look to protect it? I mean, is there a registration process that, say, someone who's not a lawyer is listening to this episode? Like, what is that first step you feel like would be really important from a legal perspective that they should do to make sure that no one comes up in six months and there's a national league that's copying your name? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So once you like a name um, and you're you know, getting close to, uh, you know, selecting that and making that a final decision. Uh, obviously, the next step turns to how you're going to protect it and then enforce against uh, someone else that might come along later using a confusingly similar name. Um, and so, especially with sports team names and, you know, company names, you know, big new brand names, uh, registration is, 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 typically the way to go. Uh, you can have unregistered trademark rights in the US, um, common law trademark rights. Uh, and that would be, you know, you might not register, let's say you're uh, a brewery and you're putting out a limited release beer that's only going to be on the shelves for three months or so. The registration process can take, you know, uh, up to an uh, in excess of a year now, nowadays. Um, so for a, a three month shelf life product, you probably don't or may not choose to register that, but, um, definitely with team names and, and logos for, you know, big, big, and even some small, you know, pro sports teams, um, you definitely want to be thinking about registration, um, which gives you rights all across the U S nationwide rights. And, there's a couple of additional considerations to think about uh, because professional sports teams are so popular, you know, the sports industry is you know, continuing to grow at a really rapid pace. Um, there's a lot of fan interest and um, maybe some uh, entrepreneurial, as they would call themselves, people that are, you know, maybe trying to guess what your name is and uh, trying to beat you to the trademark office. Um, so you can employ some different strategies to try and, uh, avoid, uh, any public leaks and uh, avoid, you know, squatters, uh, or entrepreneurial individuals. And, and one way to do that is, is what's called a submarine trademark application. So it's lurking, uh, in the depths and, uh, and how that works is you can file a trademark application in a smaller country, uh, and one that does not have a database that you can go online and search and see who's filed. And as long as that country is a party to the, uh, the Paris 
uh, agreement, um, then you have a six month priority window to then file your trademark uh, application in the US. And that US application, that filing date, no matter when it is within the six months, uh, your priority date, your, your, your rights will date back to the day that you filed your first application in that smaller country. Um, so that way, and this is something that the, the commanders did. So they filed their, their trademark application, um, in fall, the, 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 you know, late summer, fall 2021. Uh, so they had six months to then file in the U S and get the launch all finalized. And that's exactly what they did. They, they, you know, had their launch really early in February and they filed their U S trademark at the same time. Um, but that trademark got the benefit of the fall, late summer, fall 2021 filing date. So anyone that may have, you know, seen something in the weeks leading up to the, uh, to the launch, or, you know, if it had leaked out a, cu a couple of weeks early or even a couple of months early, they were still, uh, covered and they would still have priority over someone that had filed a, a trademark application leading up to that date. It really goes to the insurance and the importance of hiring an intellectual property focused attorney that really knows what they're talking about. I mean, I'd imagine there's a lot of instances where, uh, attorneys like yourself and people you've worked with in the field have hired a brand manager, for example, who's a designer and really knows, like, we're going to make something to stand out. We're going to scoop up all these web addresses and such to make sure that no one can steal um, random city baseball.com, for example, and such. There's some very specialized th ways to make sure that your brand can be protected because you're working with someone that's, uh, from the legal perspective, specialized. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's something that, you know, we are doing every day, you know, working with uh, clients in all different industries, you know, including the sports industry. Um, and then working with that uh, in-house contact in the legal department and having them work with their marketing department. It's all about, you know, trying to have good, good communication um, between the departments, but yeah, especially things like, uh, domain names. Uh, we see that come up a lot and, um, we have a lot of experience in, in, uh, securing domain names and, um, trying to, you know, get infringing domain names taken down. Um, but, you know, because they're first come, first serve, the easiest is to, especially if you're you know, pursuing a new brand, to try and scoop up any uh, any options. And then that's another way you can throw people off that are trying to, you know, guess your new name is to register a bunch of different uh, variations and different options. Um, and you can decide, you know, down, down the line to keep those or just to drop them once you've finalized your name. Moving from branding to sales, and another perspective that was really interesting that you brought up in your article is synergies. Maybe you could come across from a sales perspective with getting partners. Uh, maybe you have a uh, a company. Your team is now called the Kraken, and oh, by the way, there's a rum company with the same name. I mean, hmm, maybe we could work together. Yeah, that was I thought really clever um, uh, that uh, that the Seattle Kraken. You know, they obviously, if they weren't already familiar with Kraken Rum, which is I think pretty popular, uh, you know, they would have seen that in their clearance process. And um, you know, I think it was really smart of them to you know find that marketing 
synergy and enter into a, uh, a partnership where now Kraken rum is the official rum of the, the Seattle Kraken. And, 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 uh, and I think that was a really shrewd uh, agreement uh, between the parties there. So moving away from your article a little bit, I mean, how do you feel like your time at UNH Franklin Pierce, where you're able to specialize in intellectual property and sports law, has really prepared you for now your practicing attorney over at Day Pitney? Yeah, obviously, uh, I really enjoyed my time there and uh, and at at UNH Franklin Pierce, and uh, I think it was really helpful to for in me hitting the ground running uh, right away at at the Pitney. So, uh, a couple of particular experiences that I'll just touch on uh, was the the IP clinic um, I participated in, and that was you know really good hands on experience. I met with a client you know in the boardroom and and you know issue spotted his uh needs and his business goals and we ended up filing uh, a trademark so i got to go through the whole uh, you know client intake and issue spotting and then filing the trademark and then we worked on a really interesting um dispute matter during my time there uh with the ttab and uh we ended up you know, moving that, it, we didn't we didn't quite finish it uh, before the semester was up, but uh, it was really interesting to to work on that. So some really great hands on experience in, in the IP clinic, um, and then um, and then I was an extern or a legal resident uh, at Day Pitney, where I am today in the spring of my three L semester. So again, more hands on experience. You know jumping in right away and and uh i really liked uh day pitney obviously it's you know still here and uh they liked me you know enough and uh and it was just a really great uh way to uh learn um you know hands-on you know real practical experience so you know clinics internships and then also the classes you know i found there was a really good um a really good mix of IP classes and sports law classes available, you know, pro sports law, amateur sports law, IP issues in sports and entertainment. Um, and I really enjoyed and learned a lot from each of those classes to apply in the in the real world. I'll give you a quick chance to plug if uh, people want to learn more about Dave Pitney, uh, where, where should people go? Uh, you can go to our website, um, DavePitney.com uh, and We'll, I would say follow uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, the firm's you know, pretty active in posting some uh, interesting uh, articles and alerts uh, in all sorts of uh, fields and areas of law. Um, we have some pretty interesting clients and there's always something new <laughs> going on. So, Brandon McCool, grad 2018. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, AJ. This is this is a lot of fun. It's good to see you again. Nice to see you too. And be sure also check out in the episode description. Uh, I've got a link to uh, Brandon's article from SportsBusinessJournal.com. Really suggest you check it out. Thanks for listening to the Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu/podcast. Podcast.